In 2021, Suju was declared Crypto Villain of the Year. Su runs Three Arrows Capital and is generally regarded as one of the savviest traders of crypto in the world. And he is an interesting figure, but also has had a controversial year. In May, he called for a $25,000 price on ETH, which is extremely bullish given the price of ETH was probably like $2,000 at the time. I'm not checking. And it's $4,000 today. And then he changed his mind within three months and then started pumping Avalanche, which is a competing layer one solution. And that coin then rose about 10x as of the time of speaking. And now he recently he actually published something about how he abandoned Ethereum and that Ethereum had abandoned its users in the meantime, accumulating a bunch of Ethereum. So to the outward superficial user or observer, he's just a pump and dump kind of person but i think if you listen at all to him he's a very thoughtful thinker and he still has major positions that may not necessarily be internally consistent but i think is a interesting controversial and non-ideological approach to cryptocurrency which has really affected how i think about things and i think after listening to this you cannot believe in a dominant crypto in any one particular respect, at least for this initial decade. And I think that's very valuable to listen to. So here is the initial discussion, and I'll come back in about 15 minutes. But I would be curious to learn in what sense has Ether over-optimized for being money? So what at what points did it make a trade-off, like a conscious trade-off to say, we, we, we designed the chain to be better money and worse as, let's say, an execution layer? Sure. I think a good broad way to understand it is if you look at Antonio, the founder of DYDX's tweets about it afterward, and he he said, you know, the, the Ethereum user experience on on layer one has basically not even 10x over five years, um, and at that time the roadmap was very much to to figure out how to cater to users and developers, right? Um, and, and so I think just like, if you just zoom out that far, it's pretty easy to see that we are, we're in a very different place today on, on Ethereum than it was, uh, a couple years ago. And I think the, another easy way to see this is just with DeFi itself, right? Where if you look at the DeFi that's kind of really taken off and done well, it's been cross chain, it's been non Ethereum, right? So, you know, Luna versus SNX, but then also, you know, um, sort of, Projects on Avalanche versus projects on Ethereum. The you know the same exact project, but they'll do better on Avalanche. Um, and then you know you 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 kind of get a sense that um, I think Ethereum rightfully says that they're the bedrock or kind of the uh, birthplace of DeFi innovation, right? But what that also means is that if that's the main claim to 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 um, sort of power, that 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 becomes quite. It becomes quite nostalgic, like in a way, right? Uh, where, um, what about the new users, or what about the new developers? Where do they go? And and you know what we're seeing is that new developers are just multi EVM, right? So they d- deploy where the users are because their goal is to have their product be used. You know, so an example is we back tranches, which is a mm-hmm. quite quite. Uh, novel mechanism for doing risk sharing across um, longs and shorts, and it's got one of the highest TBLs in DeFi, right? But they started off on BSC, and the the founders love Ethereum, but they just said, if I if I launch on L1, uh, there's no way, and I'm not going to launch on Matic because if I'm going to launch on another chain, anyways, I might as well launch where the actual users are. 
right? So, um, okay, this is but what I mean, kind of we're, this is kind of what we're seeing on, on the app side. And then if you look at the performance yeah. of DeFi coins too, right? You know, when let's, we had that let's, podcast, let's stick, let's stick not with the performance. Let's let's stick with the sort of the tech for a second because sure, I, sure, I, sure. So, I, um, if we, I think if we look at blockchains from actually first principles, yeah, it's really just you know, it's a shared database where anyone can can verify or where anybody can see that the, the computation that was done, whether it's a transfer or a smart contract execution, that was done with integrity. So that was that was yeah. done correctly, right? Yeah. And you can have various kinds of such uh, database, basically. So being the most centralized would be just Binance, right? A centralized exchange. Nobody has any insight into their database, but it has a lot of reputation at stake. Um, so you just trust it to, you know, perform all the, all the updates correctly, pretty much. And on the other extreme, we have something like Bitcoin and Ethereum, where they say, oh, we throttle the network um, really hard to sort of keep um, this verification cost, this cost for people to actually do the accounting themselves, to, 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 to walk through every step that was done and say, oh, I can, I can verify it without making any trust assumptions that all of this computation was done correctly, right? And in the middle between these two extremes, the centralized exchange and the completely decentralized blockchain, you have a, a pretty wide trade-off space, right? And um, that's where you find BSC, that's where you find Avalanche and Solana at some points across these spectrums, right? But sort of what I'm wondering is, I mean... Are these other chains really going to, you know, develop in, 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 in any other way? I mean, then you see them in Bitcoin. So their I, I databases answer, are also. Yeah. yeah. I guess my answer would be they already have and they will continue because they are attracting all the new users. I think this is the, just the reality of the space, right? And I think, you know, when I told you that half of MetaMask users are BSC users and it kind of shocked you, um, it's because a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of Ether OGs and Bitcoin OGs, they don't use their chains because they don't need the money, right? Like you don't need to make a thousand dollars. You don't need to make ten thousand dollars, right? You're you're too wealthy to care. But that says more about you than it says about other people, right? So <laughs> it's kind of my point, which is that um, I I find that a lot of Ether OGs they're in the mindset now where they're like, I'm already rich, and you have to understand why what I've done is so good, and also what I why what I'm preserving is so valuable. And valuable as it may, um, you have given very few outlets for new users to come and participate in what you've done. And and so, you know, that's the reality of the space. And and you know, having Matic is not is not an answer, right? Because if you have Matic, then they say, what is the difference between Matic and any other L1? Right. And then and then you open up that door. And, yeah, and, there, and there is and, none. Yeah. The, of course, the, of course, there's none, right? So, yeah. so I think that that's kind of the reality of the space, and I agree with you 100 on you know there is a you know a decentralization trade-off uh, between each of these, and I think what the novel sort of understanding that I have, or or that um, I think the market has as well, is that um, where Ethereum is on the trade-off scale, um, it. It is optimized for a world that um, it's struggling to maintain its network effect for EVM itself, uh, where EVM developers are immediately deploying to every chain, and then users are using where they find it most convenient. So 
I would say in April or March, I would have said that Ether itself uh, will, will benefit a lot from this multi-EVM. I believe I said that in the thesis. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, you did. I, and I think in part, Ether has, right? It has outperformed Bitcoin quite a bit uh, since then because Ether benefits from being able to be ported around on EVM just much easier, right? So you can bring your, you know, you can bring your Ether across different bridges. You can use it as collateral here and there. And so it, it has definitely benefited from that, but it's also underperformed other layer ones massively. And and the the reason why I do say performance is important is because th- this is also the incentive for people to get involved, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the DeFi projects on Ethereum, you know, where they have um, pretty much only gone down in dollars even uh, over the past year. I mean, if, if someone had told you at the time we did that podcast where we predicted DeFi coins would enter the top 20, that they would actually all be down in dollars, <laughs> you would you you would have said you're insane, right? Yeah, but but it's happened, I, I, and and I, think, and, I, and I see. I think little, they have performed not that bad since then. They are up uh, in dollars, definitely, but down think, in ether big time. Uh, well, they're down in ether big time, but I think a lot of them are actually down in dollars, if I remember correctly. And 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 so that's something that I don't think people are are. I mean. Privately, I, I've spoken to a lot of people, and 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 they, you know, they 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 say what those reasons are, but I think that um, publicly, it's something that is a bit taboo to talk about, right? Because it has, it, it, you have to admit a lot of kind of things, and 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 so I think, I mean, my diagnosis would be a few things, right? I I think one is that the early Ether builders they were very committed to Ethereum as a network, and so where the founder's dilemma kind of plays in is that if you already own a lot of Ether and then it's gone up 20x, you're already wealthy, right? So so once you're already wealthy, your incentive to build also starts going down, right? Because what is the incentive to build at that point? And, 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 and that we've seen a lot in the Ethereum DeFi space, I think. Um, I think on the, on the idea of, you know, Going cross chain and acquiring users, I think that this is a this is very much a knife fight, right? This is very much a fight uh, to see you know which builders are the most aggressive at creating products for new users um, and creating experiences for new users. And I find it interesting too that like when, when I speak to some of these ethergies, you know, some are very good at going cross chain and and u- using them, but a, but a lot of like others, their mentality is like I I'm too rich to to have to do that. I'm too wealthy, like, like I don't need to, right? Um, mm-hmm. So this is, I think, the big divide really in the space, which is that it's to the point where um, Ether can no lo- Ethereum can no longer claim to have all the innovations, right? Like now you actually see the opposite where Synthetics is trying to copy what Luna's done with, you know, ecosystem airdrops and multiple projects on, on it. And, you know, it's we're, we're, we're kind of seeing that reverse copying on a number of projects now as well. And so I, I think that, there's an arrogance to the Ethereum community, similar as there was an arrogance to the Bitcoin community. Um, and I actually think that you'll see this arrogance play out in almost every community, um, mm-hmm. not in a fatalist way, but just as a, as a product of Founders Dilemma. Like if people already become billionaires, people already become you know, worth a lot of money, their, their basic worldview becomes how do I perpetuate this idea as opposed to um, how do I compete in the open market? So I think that... That kind of reality um, is is the main reason why um, I expect DeFi building and, and, and DeFi to to do better on newer chains because the builders there are just hungrier 
And they're also trying to create applications for a million users or 10 million users. So a common phrase of cryptocurrency or framing is that the crypto is going to have fat protocols. And I think the <laughs> Sue is probably the most aggressive pursuer of this idea because he's aggressively hunting for protocols that are great platforms to build for a million users and above. And here is the investment thesis that he has outlined, which I just think is fascinating. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's the first time anyone's articulated it this clearly to me. And therefore, I tend to think about things from that angle until proven otherwise. But I think what you're missing is that you're taking kind of an objectivist approach, right? You're, you're, you're kind of saying this must be the solution that is the most technologically valid and hence you're only interested in that. Well, be that as it may, um, you know, these were the kind of criticisms put on Solana in, in the early days. And what we've seen is that Solana has actually attracted a whole huge amount of grassroots developers and huge amounts of application interest. Right. I would say the last 20 of our application bets, uh, 15 plus of them are non-Ethereum, uh, mainly because we, we prefer to do bets where the we can see it get to a million users. Um, and I think for a lot of the other funds, even the funds that were quite against Solana, I see them now trying to get into these rounds too. And so it's just something that while I hear you on you know, your vision of where the technology should be and how, how it looks, I do also see that the way that the industry is going is much more pragmatic, which is to say, I want to onboard the users now. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the goal, mm -hmm. right? And, and so I just think that there needs to be a broad... Okay, put it this way. I think there needs to be a broad respect from the Ethereum community for uh, users. I don't, I don't think there's quite that respect for users. And, I, and you can argue that there doesn't need to be because Ethereum is on this mission to scale uh, in this uh, robust way. But we're getting into Bitcoin Lightning Network type of logic now too, right? Where, be that as it may, you're, you're, you're free to do what you wish, but you do run some risks of losing network effects. Um, and, and so I think... That, that, that's kind of what I would say about this. I mean, I think fundamentally it's, it's, it's talking on two different planes, right? Or it's talking past each other where the set of priors are just different. Um, so, so my set of priors is to say, okay, we can invest in Bitcoin and Ether as stores of value. That's fine. Um, and we speculate on when we buy them and when we sell them and the global demand for user and the, the, the global demand for crypto monies, right? But... At the same time, we also uh, feel that applications on Ethereum have really suffered from, uh, you know, optimistic rollup not being competitive, and and then later on, uh, you know, newer scaling not coming out, um, and you know, the world we live in today is very different from the world uh, we imagined when Ethereum DeFi mm -hmm. was sort of at their highs, and and so. Uh, Seeing that world, I'm an introspective person, so I look at that and, and, and I ask myself, why did it fail, right? What happened? And the reasons that I'm seeing or the kind of the realities that I believe I, I am perceiving are that, well, first of all, the builders are actually better on these other chains because they have chosen those other chains because they want to reach users. So I see that with Doquan and Luna. I see this uh, with a few other projects. Um, and this, I think, is actually the 
anti-culture case for Ethereum, which is that it actually is unable to provide a space for these type of builders. I remember during a clubhouse where Andre Kronj, he said, I think this was in like March, I can't remember exactly when, but he said like, if you're an EVM builder today, you need to go to BSC immediately, right? And then, you know, at that time, like then then a whole host of people went to, went to BSC. But I think that this is, this is the future. Um, of smart contracts, application space, and users. And, and so from my point of view, um, I do have a bit of regret and nostalgia for the ETH DeFi at times, and I wish that it would have gone better. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, the reason why I was so tr- triggered by Kane is because he kind of, um, is, is, kind of the, is kind of the ultimate example of sort of, you know, an ETH OG who did very well holding ETH, basically. Um, and then the project itself, you know, has kind of not been as, you know, and, and it's not something where I'm like shaming builders or this or that, but he's the one who says, you know, you know, anyone who's not building on Ethereum layer two is like, you know, we're going to keep a track of all your names and then, you know, we're not, not going to welcome you back to the community. I mean, th- th- this is dangerous stuff, I think. Um, and th- this is stuff where yeah, um, I don't yeah. believe in it. So I, I think that um, at the end of the day, um, the same problems that happen to Bitcoin Maximus are happening to Ethereum Maximus. And the problem for Ethereum is that while it matters less for Bitcoin because you don't have to do anything with Bitcoin, it matters more for Ethereum because you actually have to do things on Ethereum. And so if builders are starting to go to other chains, which I see them doing, this is a matter of debate that I have with some other funds, but I do see builders going to other chains, um, especially Solana, especially Avalanche. Um, then then the floodgates are very open on that. And you won't, we won't be able to claim in two years that all the innovation is on Ethereum, right? And once you lose that, uh, then really what you have left is you can say mm-hmm. that the EVM uh, enshrines ETH as the holy asset, which I think is happening, um, and that um, it shares a store value case with Bitcoin. And that, and that can be fine as it is, right? That, that, that really can be the end game of ETH. And... Um, and it can do well, but I don't think that um, I don't think that this is something where um, that that alternate layer ones are sort of um, discredited for their approach because I it's kind of fascinating, almost like a, as a fractal. But I, I kind of see like ETH as being what original Bitcoin wanted mm-hmm. to be in some ways, right? Which is sort of um, you know having NFTs and having um, having um, DeFi and these kind of things. And then I see like alt-layer ones trying to be what Ethereum was trying to be, which is like, you know, uh, yeah, the, reaching a billion The thing where Vitalik said like that um, if there's like, f- what is it? What did he say? Like, if there's like... Uh, five cent yeah, fees. Five, he, he, he said if Bitcoin has five cent fees, the, that's, that's not the entire of money. Then the entire yeah, of money has failed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> stuff like that, of course, yeah. makes you look so, very bad in the future. That's a given. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, and and and, but, I, and I think it's look like yeah. I still own more ether than pretty much. I still own more ether than pretty much anybody I know. So it's not something where. But I, I think this is. I mean, this is also to right? me. This is also um, like a warning but, sign. But I mean, Vitalik is a very smart guy, and he already. Yeah. First, like the, the Bitcoin Cash people fell on their face, making the claim that you can guarantee some kind of low cost environment without sacrificing sacrificing all yes. decentralization. Then Vitalik made the same statement. He yes. fell on his face. And now I see for me, it's just it's just, just Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. I see the same. I see a new class of people repeat the same, th- the, the, the same things that already the Bitcoin Cash people 
have failed at, Vitalik has failed at, they are not going to succeed, in my opinion. I think they are going to fail for the same reasons. And that's sort of what makes me a bit frustrated about seeing these arguments, because it's not, yes, I'm taking um, like a technologist stand stance on this, where I say, yeah, I'm, I'm better at evaluating um, this than the market. I can say this is going to fail for you know technological reasons. This is going to run into its scaling limits. And at some point, also the narratives around it are going to collapse when the fees go up. And they have no credible scaling roadmap. So, um, but to me, this this just feels like I've seen the story like play out more than once in the past. I think the I think the 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 sort of shortest rebuttal I would give to that is to say, um, just look at the network growth rates on the other networks, and then say, let's assume that they run into scaling problems, and let's assume that they solve them in the way that. Um, uh, would be maybe not acceptable to Ethereum people and certainly not acceptable to Bitcoin people. I mean, keep in mind too, a lot of Ethereum's decentralization trade-offs are completely unacceptable yeah. to Bitcoin people, right? And so I, so, so I think that then you, you're, you're very much back in the fractal that I'm talking about, which is that um, you know, Ethereum people making the same arguments against other chains that Bitcoin people make against, Aval, uh, make against Ethereum, right? And I guess what I would say is that... Um, I do see these finding product market fit, and I do see these teams being uh, at least more motivated to onboard users. Um, and and so I guess what I'm what I'm warning, or not warning, but what I'm kind of predicting is that um, that all layer ones will continue to do very very well. And um, I also see this in Web two investors that I speak with, right? Because when when the web two investors come to crypto, I think some of them, you know, they they gravitate toward the uh, toward the Ethereum vision. Um, but then as they do, they start to see like, okay, well, how fast is this network growing? Because I'm investing in network effects, right? How fast is this network growing? And then they see that all the other chains are having way faster network effects, and then they're saying, okay, well, what is the reason for this? And and so if the reason is that Ethereum is waiting for its own scaling, then it starts to sound like Bitcoin, right? It starts to sound a lot like like Bitcoin. So um, then they're like, okay, well, I clearly need a hedge because these are already outperforming Ether by a lot. And on top of that, there's you know very credible uh, activity happening. I understand that Ether people say it's not decentralized, but I also understand mm-hmm. that Bitcoin people mm-hmm. say Ether is not decentralized. You see, you see what I'm saying there, right? So so that that's kind of what I'm predicting, basically. And and I think that um, I think that. For me, like I kind of had the thesis, uh, fortunately, relatively early uh, during the bear market, that I think all all layer ones are yeah. deeply undervalued because these are real teams building stuff. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, so so like Polkadot, Kusama, uh, Avalanche, um, mm-hmm. Near. Um, I mean, we we pretty much said at that time, you know, pretty much any alt layer one that is doing like that is shipping code. Uh, is is gonna is just is incredibly undervalued by, by the market. I think um, Richard, who we had on our podcast at DSCM, he had, he had basically that thesis, and he he helped us kind of see it, which is that um, for the same reasons that Ethereum grew very quickly, these chains also will grow very quickly because the penetration of smart contract users and 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 just you know applications is, is zero of the main population. So it's 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 a world where we live in where. Um, you know, just to give an example, right? Like Te- Tezos just did a great deal with Ubisoft, where they're going to give 
something like 10 million wallets to Ubisoft users and then hold NFTs in them. So, the, I mean, I can see a world where chains can do well just being uh, used in one country, right? And then and then going from there. And and so, I guess what I'm saying is like the world is a very very big place. And I see layer ones doing very different approaches to biz dev, very different approaches to users. Um, and I think that this is healthy actually for broader crypto. It it does hurt a bit of um, of Ethereum dominance. Like I think Ethereum would be much closer to flipping Bitcoin today if Ethereum had managed to find, you know, if, if it basically what we think of as the scaling roadmap in 2025, if it had been achieved by today, right? Um, but um, be that, you know, being that we're in the world we are in today, I see sort of more of a hybrid Bitcoin and Ether will share store value case. And then I see a multiple, you know, a multitude of alt layer ones. And I, and I think that, I mean, not to say that this is good or bad, but just to say this is, I think, just the reality. Why do you, so Ethereum has also, of course, gone through periods of extreme growth. Um, and back in the day, we used to use this as um, an investment case for Ethereum over Bitcoin, right? We saw that, yeah, Bitcoin was valued much higher, but Ethereum growth yeah. in, in, in any relevant metric was just leaving Bitcoin completely in the dust. There were more. I think what I realized... I think what I realized looking back is that okay. we were asking the wrong question. We were asking the OG, we were asking the wrong question, which is the OG question, which is should I own more ether oh. or bitcoin? But that's actually the okay. wrong question. Well, my my question to you would have been uh, why why do you think that the growth that these newer chains are seeing is going to be more sticky than the growth that Ethereum has seen? Uh, well. What I would say is that their growth has already been much faster than Bitcoin and Ethereum, and their growth can continue to be much faster because one, they don't have technical yeah. debt. Yeah. Bitcoin has technical debt, right? Yeah. Ethereum has huge technical debt. These new ones, they don't have technical debt in part because they're more centralized, but also in part because they're newer, right? Um, so you know they're already proof of stake. Well, for Ether, it will be very hard to go proof of stake. It will take months and months, right? And there will be a lot of questions as we go into it. And 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 so technical debt is one reason. Also, I think um, spirit of community is another, right? Where um, the the concept of getting in on the ground floor is very attractive to people. And, you know, if you look at Ether today, like, it doesn't offer... The opportunities, I think, that um, it did when people uh, were around in 2019. So if, even if you look at, like, you know, we're talking about airdrops, right? Like all, all this stuff is for if you were a user in 2019, as far as I'm concerned. Like ENS, yeah, you registered it in 2019. You know, using some of these products, okay, like some of them late 2020, but they're all kind of like, I mean, I would posit that it's all the same 2,000 users, 2,000 to 5,000. Uh, you know that 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 are basically benefiting from this, and and so that's kind of the big challenge, I, I think, uh, which is uh, Ethereum's growth of users on L1 has basically gone to zero, right, um, because of the fees. And I can accept the argument that that's fine because we'll do rollups, but I would then also argue that if you assume that's true, then the growth rates on alt layer ones will be very fast because there is a demand for people to get involved in crypto and this is where they will go. And so 
for me, it's trivial that the growth rate of user counts and activity on other chains will be faster than on Ethereum. Um, it's a broader question, what will outpace the other in dollars today uh, from where, where we are here? Because obviously we are already up 1,000x on Solana. We're already up you know, hundreds of x on these other coins. And the, these are all kinds of... Um, you know, we're, we're trying to get to questions of like, what is a fair percentage of Ethereum market cap these things should be? But I think when it comes to user counts, when it comes to activity levels, when it comes to new builders, uh, new passionate builders who want to build billion dollar applications, I very much see these going to Solana, Starkware, Avalanche, um, and, and a few others. And I think that that's just natural. Um, so I do think that when there is... Um, more opportunities to deploy an L2, I think they'll also do so. But I think that Ethereum has lost that network effect of being able to say, all innovators come to my chain and join my community. Um, I didn't realize it quite early enough. I think if I had, I would have just sold all my Ether for Solana and Avalanche. Uh, but you know, be that as it may, I was comparing Ether too much to Bitcoin, and you know, so, so I suffered that fate along with you. Basically, um, you know, as part of the sort of the OG crowd now that you know debates Bitcoin versus yeah. Ether all day, right? You know, and you know, I've met young guys like retail guys, like they're like fifty percent sold, fifty percent AVAX from a dollar, you know, and these guys are just like, why do you even talk about Bitcoin and Ether? Like, what what is the point? And and so like the, there is that perspective that I have to remind myself of each time because each generation, each crypto wave has brought in. Uh, new people, right? And their perspective is very different from yours and mine. And you know, see, you know, speaking to these kind of guys, uh, I do. I am sometimes struck by like, are we the boomers? You know. Yes. Um, I think I would be. I mean, I, I I would agree that somebody who comes in today won't use Bitcoin and in, in, in Ethereum, and they shouldn't because for the reasons that we talked about. But that doesn't mean that they are any more right in the long term. I think if you've only been here for half a cycle, then I think there's definitely the risk of sort of overvaluing what is new and what you know over what is long-term viable. I would say that at the end of the day, I'm I'm a pragmatist. I'm I have no uh, ideological reason to support Ethereum. I would say I'm pretty far from from being like an, an ideologue. Um, I I think that. In terms of its roadmap, it's actually it's going to be cheaper and better for a user and an application builder to use um, a rollup that um, posts, you know, proofs to Ethereum than these alternate layer ones if if they are just a layer one. So they can have the same roll the same um, the same sharding roadmap, and then I think it's sort of a fair game. Um, but I think that this approach is probably going to win out over the, you know, monolithic layer one approach. Um, and I say that because I believe in it for, you know, that it's like pragmatically the the best approach and not because I think it's somehow more, I don't know, that it's like for moral reasons or whatever. Right. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I guess my point is that for like for, for me as someone who invests prolifically in, in applications, I... I see the strongest applications being built on non-Ethereum these days. And that's something that I would have been absolutely... If, if you had told me this a year ago, I, I, mm -hmm. I would have said absolutely no way. Zero chance. All the innovation I see is on Ethereum. And now all the application innovation I see is not on Ethereum. And, and so this is just... 
for me, that's my perspective on it. And that makes me sad in a way because it's different from what I thought it would be. And it's different from, from what I hoped it would be. Um, and so I think that, I think that that's kind of where, where the, 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 the biggest fear for me in crypto is that if we get to a world where the end game is then you don't need to have any, like, like you, you get to the most centralized chain and then that is the thing that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of seeing this like, and it scares me with some of these Web2 guys and they're saying like, well, you know what? You don't even need crypto. You, you just have tokens. The whole point is tokens. Uh, well, yeah. Once you have tokens, uh, yeah. you, you can incentivize everybody. You incentivize your users. You can get rid of the fucking blockchain, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. just yeah. get tokens. And this is, the, I mean, Kobe was tweeting about this a bit as well. And this, this is what really scares me because if we don't, if we don't make reasonably credible applications that, that scales to users, you you do some run some risk that like, um, you know, we're just talking about tokens in, in five years that that run in actual databases. Um, yeah. So so I I come from that perspective, but I mean, I mean I think at the end of the day, like it's 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 the points on both sides are really well understood now. I think you know the market will decide, the new users will decide, the new builders will decide, and 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 I think it's not even worth debating honestly because I think it's more about prognostication right so people yes. will set their chips the way they want to set them and and then that's yeah. it yeah i completely agree I, I i i'm a pretty strong believer in the thesis that fast forward five years and people will be using applications they will not be using blockchains yes. they will be going directly to applications like they go to their bank their broker whatever their super app and they will be using these applications and they will know that it's non-custodial um but they won't know on what chain it runs. Um, and they, have, they won't have to, they don't have to care. And then it's purely a matter of what chain um, can get the best um, yeah, properties to, to build us and to use us. Um, and there won't be any sort of, yeah, I mean, any reason to favor one over the other for any other reason. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely also the approach that I'm taking. And um, if it's true that other chains can capture um, better builders and can retain them in the long term, then I definitely think that these chains are in a good position. Personally, I don't, I don't see that right now. I think definitely um, it's very attractive for a new builder to build on new chains, but it's also because these chains tend to be empty, empty air, and this is not going to sustain. So there's some amount of short-termism and there tend to be big incentives, right? So between building on Ethereum and building on Avalanche, where I know that Ava Labs is, have, is you know, paying out huge, they are dumping like AVAX incentives on, on any application that builds there. Of course, that's a huge bribe for me as an application builder to favor that chain. But I also know that this is not long-term sustainable, right? So at some point, the, this, this sort of incentivized growth will taper off and then what matters is the actual technical trade-offs. Well, I think the well, well, I think the 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 biggest counter argument to what you said is that it's already been wrong for many months now, right? Where, um, you know, from the vision that we would have seen a year ago to now, it's already been wrong. And then, so I think the question is then, at what point will that vision be correct? And I think the answer that most Ethereum people give is that the it will be correct when we finally have L2 scaling that is competitive with uh, the experience, the user experience on layer ones. Um, mm -hmm. That is what they say. But what they're underestimating is that 
the new users don't have an allegiance to ETH the way that you do, right? So even when that is out, there is no guarantee that the new user will then say, I value the technical trade-off of Ethereum, I'm going to go there. That, I think, is the biggest point. And I would also make the point that Starkware does not belong to Ethereum, right? Starkware yeah. belongs to itself. And they very much do not plan to pay rent to Ethereum. So this is something, too, where I would say, um, arguably, all L2s will not want to pay rent to Ethereum, in my opinion. They will also end up becoming like L1s. Um, so so that, that kind of is my biggest counterpoint, which is that the execution layer, the execution environment that provides the best ex experience for applications, uh, whether incentivized or not, uh, once it has those and once it has a flywheel of users coming in, that's incredibly powerful. And I've seen that with BSC and Binance where you know, even with a weaker technical roadmap, they've been able to capture half of all, I mean, they just have by far the most users of any chain. It's not even close, right? And that's why all the new GameFi companies are launching their games on, on BSC because that's just where the users are. Um, so I think that it's just something where I find the Ethereum rhetoric to be more out of touch with where I see applications and users going than ever before. And th this is something that I think is is honestly irrelevant to the average ETH holder because, like I said, I think ETH's value accrual now is not coming from that stuff. It's coming from people buying Bitcoin and Ether together as part of a monetary basket. And so I get why they're also out of touch with it because, they're, because their goals are different and their you know, kind of ideas are different. But if we're talking about um, where users are and where they're going, where builders are going, I do find it very facile to say, well, as soon as we get our layer twos up, then they're all going to come back. I, I personally not a believer in that because I don't think that that's um, I, I, it's just not how I've seen the world play out. So we're at the 38 minute mark. I ran a bit long and kind of making up for missing the last two days of mixtaping. But the whole conversation is just fascinating. I only snipped the part that was relevant to the Ethereum and the alternative L1 thesis. But you should just go listen to the whole thing because this is just illuminating. So enjoy. I hope that wasn't too heavy.